I'm Father Scott Vanderveer, and this is Profiles of Endurance. Whenever we hear someone else's story about how they got to where they are in life today, it's always amazing to realize how many raging rivers have been crossed, how many obstacles have been overcome, how many struggles have been endured. That's true for everyone who gets married, it's true for everyone who finds their way into a career that is satisfying, and it's true for everyone who follows a call to religious or consecrated life. Father Dan McHale had a long journey that brought him to be ordained a priest at age 41, and it involved facing a number of challenges and struggles that are a surprise when you see how fully engaged and alive and active he is today. It would be hard to know just by looking at the outside that he actually deals with chronic pain and a health condition that can't seem to be easily solved. He also had to endure a lot of pulls away from the calling that God had given him. We're here with Father Dan now to find out just how many challenges and obstacles were on his path and how he found his way through all of them with God's grace. Well, thanks for inviting me, Father Scott. I, I appreciate uh, you know everything you do here and all the help you gave to me during my discernment process. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's start. Let's go back to the very beginning. Talk to me a little bit about your childhood and about what it was like growing up in your family. Well, I'm, I'm the oldest of four. Um, my parents, um, you know, we, we grew up in Columbia County, but I was born in Corning uh, when my dad was working for Ag and Markets out there. And the story goes, my, my, I was born in 1980. My parents were married in the fall of 77. Mm. And the story goes that my mom got homesick and my dad uh, didn't have a job ready for him in Columbia County, but they decided to move back. So here they are, you know, moving back. My dad worked for a while at Stewart's um, before uh, he got a job as a, a liquor salesman. Mm. And then he eventually got into where he was long-term food, food sales. And uh, my mom, you know, she raised me and, and my sister and, and Kristen, the second sister, and then the third sister, Kimberly. And... Then she went and became a medical transcriptionist like she was before she met my dad. Mm. So, you know, we very normal childhood, I would say. Uh, grew up in, in Stuyvesant where, um, you know, my parents have had that house since 1982. And, um, you know, we, we went to church every Sunday, kind of the basic. I was an altar server and then older I was a lector and... Um, until those things became uncool around the age 16, 17. That's right around the right time. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, my, you know, it was just a, a very basic, I, I would say relatively unremarkable by, by today's standards, uh, uh, Catholic upbringing. And then you wound up, your parents had a child a little bit later when you were maybe in middle school. You have the youngest sister yep. in the pack as well. And there's also Therese. Yep. She was born in 91. So she was the youngest. There's a, you know, a sizable 11 year age difference between me and her. So the, the four of us uh, kind of grew up there in Stuyvesant, very close to my grandparents in Hudson, where I spent a lot of summers. Mm -hmm. um, there weren't, weren't many kids my age on my street. 
uh, growing up. So I went there and uh, was able to play wiffle ball and, and football <laughs> with the kids So and, and live with Nanny and Poppy uh, most of the summers. So. so what was your your plan for life when you were little? And if somebody had asked you, Danny, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you have said? That's a good question because I really didn't think I wanted to be a priest. You know, it wasn't <laughs> something that really crossed my mind. My mom claims that I said something in, in high school one time that I said I could, I could be a priest. Um, but, you know, it, it's funny. When I was real little and, and watched football and baseball, I used to say, oh, I want to play for the Yankees or, mm. or something you know, for the Bills. Um, but then when I got a little older, I said, I want to be a game show host. I said in my mind, I never articulated that to anybody. Ah, but, you which, know, you, show, I, which show had you? I, I loved Trebek on, on yes. Jeopardy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and even other, other game show hosts too, like Bob Barker. And, uh, but I never made plans to do that. Mm. And I remember in junior high school, we had a career day. How crazy is this? So uh, a woman from, I think it had to be Columbia Green community college came in and, and talked to all of us and went around the class and what do you want to be when, when you know you get get to college and get out of college and um i had two choices this is crazy i said either a creative writer or a stockbroker and i don't know where those those came from ah. but it's just like completely different ends of the the spectrum you know um so it was uh eventually i did settle on a history major with the intent of initially going into law school, but that that changed during my undergraduate. Interesting to me that creative writing sounded good to you because, of course, what a lot of folks don't really think about when they think of the priesthood, but is really true, we have to come up with creative essays in the form of homilies all the time, many times every day, depending on the schedule that our, our church has. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I enjoy writing. Um, I, I'm a notoriously slow writer. <laughs> so um, I, I, I tend to write things better in my head and then say them than to put it on paper because once it's on paper, I'll tinker with it and it'll take forever. So when I, when I give my homilies, usually they're based on bullet points I memorize. Yeah. And there, there, you're right, there is a creative angle to it, though. There's always that hook that you want to bring people in with that story of interest or personal interest story um, to, to help relate the gospel to, to their lives. So I, do, I do see the connection there with the creative writing. So when you were young, who were the role models of faith for you? Who did you look up to when you were thinking of somebody who really lived their faith or who, who seemed to have a lot of faith? Who, who came to mind? Well, you know, um, Poppy lived the faith without talking about the faith. You know, because he was always very generous and, and kind and went to church every Sunday. Uh, we would always leave early. As soon as the priest said or the deacon said the mass has ended, we would um, we would basically race to the back um, and, and try to make it to the parking lot to beat the traffic. But he, he modeled uh, the way to live a Christian life, again, without being an evangelist. Mm. You know, he wasn't vocal about it. You know, just, he wasn't vocal about a lot of things, never talked about or very rarely anyway, his service in World War II and, and some of the the crazy stuff he did see in, in battles in, in the Philippines against the Japanese. Mm. Uh, and, and also Father Bath. You know, Father Bath was a, a role model and he's the was the pastor of St. Mary's Hudson when I grew up. He's still there as the um, pastor emeritus uh, of what's now called Holy Trinity 
in Hudson, mm. and it was just kind of his um, just everything about what he modeled the priesthood to me. You know, he a, a lot of people have unfortunately some bad stories about things that priests said to them or or way they treated them growing up, and, and people tend to remember those. But I I can tell you that. I have only good memories of priests growing mm. up. Even even one of the priests who left the priesthood, um, the late Father Jim Zagers, God rest his soul. I um, mean, he was end up having a very troubled life after he left, mm. but uh, he he was also actually a very good model and a very good man to to me anyway. As I was mm. growing up as a kid, so I I only have good memories of of priests modeling the faith, which is I think probably in part explains where I am now. You know. If I understand your story right, you never really had a crisis of faith. You always believed, you always had faith, but you didn't always practice your religion. That's a, that's a story that I think a lot of people can relate to. What what part of your life was it and what was going on when you you still had faith, but you stopped really actively practicing your religion? It was in college, uh, and it's interesting. So I went to Mount St. Mary College in Newburgh for history poli-sci, Initially, with the intent of being a lawyer, but about halfway through, I said, "You know, I want to um, I want to pursue history for a master's, and I want to teach." And that was just that was the goal after, say, sophomore year. But around that same time, sophomore year, I started, um, you know, went out with friends, drinking, um, mm. had, got a girlfriend, and just um, didn't put a priority on the faith. I always believed it in the back of my mind, but you know, I always thought that. It was something that I just didn't need to attend to, because when you're young, you know you feel invincible, mm. and you um, you kind of prioritize things that maybe are, are more selfish, and and not of God and of this world, and it was just a, a life that, as somebody who lived, I wouldn't say a sheltered high school life, but somebody who didn't go out and party at all in high school. You know, I, I had friends to be sure, and we. Shared nerdy hobbies like collecting baseball <laughs> cards, but um, it was um, just I didn't prioritize the faith. And um, I'd say by sophomore into early junior year, I, I went to church maybe once a month there, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though church was two buildings away from the dorm, you know. So there was that's a very uh, understandable and relatable story for a lot of folks. And I think, you know, there's some people listening that are, are listening maybe because they know you or they know me, but not because they're actively practicing their faith. Other folks are listening to this because they have children or grandchildren that, that they raised with weekly mass going and lots of traditions and they're not, they're not practicing now. But one of the things about your story that I think is really interesting and could and maybe could provide some hope to people is that even in the midst of you not really practicing your faith, God really intervened and yep. really spoke up. It's it's a remarkable story and for those who haven't heard it, it really does spark a lot of a lot of new understanding of how God works. What what happened on that day in college? Yeah, so I mean this is a story. It's it's funny how this something happens to you, but then you tell it and tell it and tell it so many times. It's almost like it feels more distant as time goes on. But yeah, this did happen to me, and and I always 
Remember, great advice I got when I interviewed for seminary from one of the priests, Father Yavaron, interviewed with him. He said, hold on to that moment. Mm. He said, because you're going to need it at times. You know, that, that kind of experience that I, and now I'm certain it was with the transcendentant. You know, mm. it, was, it was an experience with, with God kind of, um, kind of breaking through to me at a time when I needed to break through. So I was lying in bed. It was um, probably around 6 a.m.-ish. And I was kind of half awake, half asleep, but more asleep than awake. And a voice said to me, you need to go to Mass. Mm. And, um, you know, I I woke up after that and I I didn't know. I knew they had daily Mass. I wasn't sure exactly when it was. So I think I looked it up on the computer. They did have internet then. It was (laughs) a little more rudimentary, you know, um, probably Netscape Navigator was the browser mm, I used to, mm-hmm. to look it up. And <laughs> back in the year of two, two, would have been the year 2000, fall of 2000. And um, yeah, so I think the masses were 1130 at the time. So I remember standing there in, in the, the chapel um, thinking, what the heck am I doing here? Mm. And it was the faculty and a few of the, the nuns, the sisters, the Dominican Sisters of Hope, who were, I think most of them are now deceased, at Mount St. Mary. And the Psalm Antiphon that day was, you will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Mm-mm-mm. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, it's funny because this uh, past summer I watched the movie Field of Dreams with my dad. It was just happened to be on, on cable. And, you know, the voice to, I think it's Ray was the main character. Kevin Costner played him. It's like, if you build it, they will come. And he's like, who, what, what do you mean? You know, who, who will come? And then eventually it becomes revealed to him. I kind of think of it like it's that, that voice that nobody else can hear, but all of a sudden when you know you're on the right path, you know, you know something's there that's, you're not crazy. And that was kind of that moment, you will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I actually never made that connection before to feel the dreams, like kind of that, that voice, that still small voice that you hear um that's a great baseball movie as well and uh so yeah and and i i I held it together for mass and later that day i went back to my dorm and broke down crying and i called father bath and um he ended up putting me in touch with father walsh the vocation the very day you went home to your room you went back yeah i went back to my room and you called your childhood priest that's right amazing yeah that's amazing and and you knew that something big had happened you weren't trying to downplay it no no i wasn't and and i didn't i i i I was like am i am i supposed to be a priest like what is this you know and it was um i would say it was the beginning of uh, a a personal call to holiness you know that i i tried to and i started going to daily mass after that um i you know i was very dedicated to going to daily mass um, and it, it kind of, um, I, I kind of reinvigorated my relationship with the Lord. I, I remember reading a book on Padre Pio. I bought, mm. I bought a book, but never finished it on St. John Vianney. Mm. Uh, you know, <laughs> it was, fa- I still remember it was Father George Rutler's book. And I just like, this is too, this is too heady for me. And, you know, so I was like, all right, we'll, we'll pick an easier one. You were um, 20 years old. I was 20 years old. Exactly. So, yeah. um, but, you know, I, I would do a rosary group with the, there was a small group of, of students at Mount St. Mary that, that said the rosary. And um, 
Um, anyway, and it, it was just me reconnecting with the faith. And um, I met with Father Walsh. I went to a few events. But then my senior year, you know, again, I, I tried it. I, I always would said if my junior year was my senior year, I probably would have entered into some kind of pre-theology program right there. But wow. at some point in senior year, I decided to put that out of my mind, the call that I had. It was more distant. Uh, I had some new friends. Um, you know, I just wanted to have a good time senior year. I was like, you know, I still went to church, but I didn't, I wasn't going to daily mass anymore. I wasn't saying the rosary anymore. Um, so I didn't, I didn't go back to my lazy, uh, completely abandoned the faith of sophomore year, but I, um, I decided, you know what, I'm not even going to pay attention to that. And I put it out of my mind. I really did for the most part. Um, that that feeling, that call. I have to say, though, if we were to pause there, you know, we there's no way for us to know what would happen in life if we made different choices than we've made. But I have to say this. The father, Dan McHale, that I know, lived a very interesting and complex life for 20 years between the day of that miracle and the day of his ordination. If, if, if instead... Dan McHale had gone directly into a pre-theology program and, and become a priest then, he would have brought something very different to the table than, than you bring now. It feels almost like God may have really been well served by the detour, if it was a detour that you took. Yeah. Um, you know, I, what's, what's the phrase we use in, in Pope St. John the Twenty Third National Seminary for delayed vocations, right? That, <laughs> you know, there, there, there's no delayed vocations. There's only vocations and, and mm. everything happens in God's time. And I think that my life had me serve a purpose. The, my li- the life I lived between that time. I made a lot of mistakes along the way, nothing mm. serious, but, um, but I also learned a lot and, and got to know some, some great people that are still very close to me in my life. And in some ways, I could say I deepened my faith and my commitment because who knows, you know, I could have went into seminary at 21, got ordained a priest at 27, 28 and left at 30. True. You know what I mean? So because a lot of times the, the, as a young, young priest, you know, I'm not, not stereotyping or anything, but I tend to think the older guys at Pope St. John know why they're there and the ones who are ordained you know, are 100% committed to that call. That seminary, the one that you attended, the one that I attended, is designed specifically for vocations over age 30. And in fact, uh, when I was there, and this, the same might be true, we, we're, we have eight years of, of distance between our ordination dates, but when I was there, the median age was in the 50s. There, the average guy there was somebody who'd had quite a quite an extensive career before he came. And a number of the guys that were there had been married. Many of them were widowers. The others were people who had marriages that, that failed, but they had annulments. And so they were free to pursue another stage of life. And so there is, I think it's interesting for our listeners to know, there is an option out there for many people 
who have maybe had a call early in life and put it on a back burner or God drew them into another area of life for reasons only known to God for a long time, uh, that there is a chance to go to a to a, a formation program that that honors, as you said, there's no delayed vocations. There's only vocations, and God's time takes care of everything. Now, you always had an interest in in history and in older people. That's something that you've always had. That plays a big part in what happened in those intervening years. You had a really unique opportunity while you were studying history. To, uh, to experience something that, that many people never have had a chance to, to do in their life. And I, maybe, is it fair to say it started with a dream that you had one night? Yeah, uh, so um, after Mount St. Mary, I didn't go into the seminary, obviously. I went to SUNY Albany, um, where I went, studied um, history and got my master's in 2005. And... So from right after I got my master's, I wanted to try to work off some of that college debt. And I had a little credit card debt as well. Mm. Uh, and um, I, so I went to, back to ShopRite, where I've been working every summer since 98. Hmm. And I went back there full time and they hired me. And eventually um, I became a night manager there. And um, it was during that time of ShopRite that working like 50 hours a week and... Um, it, it kind of felt like I was stuck in neutral, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great career. And, and actually, today, I would recommend it over people spending $200,000 in college debt to become a supermarket manager, you know, mm-hmm. um, over college debt. But anyway, I, um, I I felt like I still had to had to go on. I had to go back and get my PhD. But um, the, the first year in my PhD program, I went back to UAlbany. Uh, my grandmother... Um, a nanny, you know, uh, from Hudson, my maternal grandmother, uh, developed lung cancer and she passed away in, uh, in October of 2007. Mm. Uh, so she was a big a, loss. That's a yeah, big loss oh, for the whole I spent, family. It, it was, yeah. I mean, nanny, uh, she was a character to be sure, but she loved us all unconditionally. Um, you know, and she, um, she was someone who, you know, she wasn't, Super faithful during her life, she used to have this saying, um, we hope and pray there's a God. That was her, how crazy is that? Like how, you know, that's like one of those um, interesting sayings. But, but then at the end of her life, you know, she received the sacraments, um, you know, and, and t- talked about how much she loved Jesus. And, um, and she's the wife of Poppy, who wife took Poppy. you like ducklings to church. Yep. Nanny, Nanny generally didn't go to church. And Nanny had a lot of um, issues with her neck and, and back as well. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So she didn't always go to church. And towards the end of her life, rarely did. It was hard for her to, to sit in, in one place. You know, she would lay down a lot on the couch and watch mm. watch soap operas and, and g- game shows. <laughs> um, Golden Girls was a, <laughs> a favorite that was on a lot. It's everybody's favorite. It, I know, <laughs> but you know, it was it was great spending summers with them, and it was was a big loss. And mm. and um, you know, but I was again one of those things. That this this I don't know. It didn't feel the same voice as the voice that told me to you know you need to go to mass. But I had a dream that Nanny said you should live with Poppy. Mm. And um, 
I woke up crying uh, after that dream and it, it could have been grief or, you know, might have been something transcendent. I don't know. But I, you know, decided to live with him for that summer. And that was the summer of after she so she died in the fall of 2007. After the semester was over um, in my uh, grad program, and I was teaching at the time as well, adjunct at Mount St. Mary, I moved in with, with Poppy in would have been May of 2008 and mm. thought, you know, I didn't know how long I'd be staying there. And um, I ended up staying there until I left for seminary in, uh, in uh, late summer 2017. So you had the better, just about a decade living with Poppy. Yeah. It's a remarkable thing. So yeah. for those who wonder what it's like for a young man to live with his grandfather, what would what would a typical day be like for you and Poppy? Well, typical day would have been um, him getting the paper in, in either from the night before or from that Sunday, looking through the ad at Shoprite, Price Chopper, and Aldi, <laughs> picking out the sales, making a shopping list. He and I would go to the stores together. Uh, usually, no more than two stores a day. <laughs> you know, we'd pick the two that had the best sales and. Uh, and then we'd go through together and, um, you know, if, uh, if he had a doctor appointment or something that day, I would bring him that. So I was kind of like driving Miss Daisy, you know, I was like the, the chauffeur in a way, but it was, it was great. It was bonding. You know, he, he didn't say a lot, uh, but we would talk never, um, like intimate talk, you know, it wouldn't be like uh, heart to heart about emotions or, or uh, feelings. It was about. Well, the Yankees, they had a good comeback last night. I'm like, yeah, it sure did, Poppy, you yeah. know? And, uh, or it's like, uh, when, when are you going to finish, uh, you know, cleaning that bathtub or something like that? You know, it was always, <laughs> all, right, all right, Poppy, I'll get to it next week. So, but it was, it was a loving role. And he cared so deeply, you know. Um, I remember when I was adjuncting, at, uh, I adjuncted first at Marist when I lived there, then at Mount St. Mary in New Paltz. Uh, if I was late, I'd get a frantic voicemail sometimes where are you just wondering what time you're coming home you know and i'm like ah so it was um he cared though i mean it was you know i i lived there and at first he was very independent but as as the years went on obviously i did more and more with him and um it was it was a blessing though honestly like to to live with him and you know it just um I, I miss it. I miss him a lot, and um, you know, I, I was hoping he would be able to live to see my ordination. But looking now, you know, he died in in July of 2018 in the fireman's home where he spent the last nine years of his life in Hudson. Nine months. Nine months. Yes, thank you. Nine yeah. months. Um, I just praise God. You know, he didn't live through COVID. Isn't it oh. true? Isn't it true? Because I mean, I got to I got to experience what his life was like in those in in those ending times he was uh just a, he was always in his 90s when you were living with him you're in your 20s and early 30s yeah. this man's in his 90s and the quality of life that you guys shared together all the way up until it became time it became clear that staying in the house was not the right thing it was time for you to go to the seminary and it was time for him to go to the fireman's home. It, yeah. was, it was the right time for both of you. But, but as I look back over that, I'm aware that one of the people in the house, your poppy, 
was retired and was looking at all these circulars. The other one was building a career, teaching on the college level. And am I right? Were you also dating during that time? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting that I had, a, trust me, I'm not bragging, a lot, a lot of different girlfriends at the time. You know, some were, <laughs> some lasted a, a few months and others were a few years. But, um, you know, it, the, the priesthood was always in the back of my mind, but it, uh, when I was there, but I never, um, I, I actually pictured myself married with, with children mm. at, at some point, um, with a, with a career teaching. Uh, but I, um, you know, I always had that priesthood thought that would resurface every now and then. And sometimes it would be scary and other times it would be comforting, you know? Uh, mm. so what, what pushed you in 2017 to make the move? What brought it from all that potential energy of, you know, this since the year 2000, you had kind of had a feeling that this was what you were called to do. What, what turned that potential energy into kinetic energy? Well, it was a couple, couple different things. Um, first, uh, in the summer of 2013, uh, I, um, I just started dating a girl who I really liked and, you know, it was great to, her name was Catherine, is Catherine. And I um, was due to have my wisdom teeth pulled on August 19th of 2013. And um, I had ear issues for years, like with ears, my ears popping in a mm. weird, weird way. And mm. um, the, the dentist uh, did an MRI and determined that I had some jaw issues, which were putting pressure on the ears. You know, who knew? Mm. So he suggested having all four wisdom teeth pulled to take the pressure off my jaw. And um, I actually didn't feel good about having that done. It, even though it was, I knew it was routine, I had like a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach about having that done. Mm. But um, I decided to go through with it. And I had my all four wisdom teeth pulled. Everything went okay the day of the surgery. But the following day, August 20th, I had the most intense headache of my life. Um, and that headache... The intensity didn't stop for, I don't know, like four or five, six weeks straight. Oh. Uh, every day, you know, they, they tried to diagnose it at first, sinus headache, no. Um, was it was it a, a fungal infection because there was a communication with the sinus cavity, no. Um, ultimately, um, they, they couldn't find out exactly what caused this headache. For the first six months, it was like a six to eight on the pain scale constantly. Oh. It's, it's subsequently gone down to my daily headache is about a two to three with occasional spikes. But I um, w was diagnosed, actually went out to the Mayo Clinic in, in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, and, um, you know, they, I was also <laughs> had a spinal tap done to, to try to see if there was any kind of other diseases going on and mm. the spinal tap went wrong too. I was leaking cerebrospinal fluids, all sorts of comp and I don't want to get sympathy here, but all sorts of crazy complications, right? Oh. And it, it, you know, I felt like Job, like, Lord, what are you what is what are you doing with me? You know, here I am. Um what what's the meaning of this? And um I I just had a a feeling that, you know, through through all this suffering, some meaning could be made out of it and I felt called 
to come back to the priesthood. And we also, shortly after I had my headaches, the following year we had called by name in, in Hudson. And my name was one of the ones put down. It was kind of funny because if you recall, called by name was that program the diocese ran where if you knew the name of a a man or a woman who you thought had a religious vocation to the priesthood or a religious life, you would write their name down. And Father Bath came up to me. I think I was lecturing that day in 2014. He said, good news, Dan. Someone wrote your name down. I've told this story before in churches. And I said, was it my mom? And and he said, yeah, but it was others as well. So, And funny uh, addendum to that story, years later, after I was ordained, the week after I was ordained, my mom revealed that I wrote your name down twice. I'm like, Mom, you didn't, you didn't tell me that. Like, un, unbelievable that she, my mom is some piece of work. Yeah, um, I love it. I know. Uh, so anyway, so I, I listened to that. You know, I was like, all right, if, if other people see this in me, mind you, I'm still dating Catherine. I'm going to go check out this call by name thing. And when I was there, Bishop Scharfenberger had just been uh, installed as as the Bishop of Albany. Mm. And first time I ever meet the guy, um, he comes over and sits at our table. And um, I'm there. I'm actually there with another guy from Hudson. Um, not not Father Steve Yesko, actually another another guy from Hudson. And um, someone asks him at the table, like, Bishop Ed, uh, I've been uh, discerning the priesthood for many years. How do I know when it's time to apply to seminary? And he said, we got a saying back in Brooklyn. And he said blank or get off the pot <laughs> and everybody was shocked like here's you know you can't ever picture bishop hubbard using that that language right like, and he said the word he didn't say blank he said the word that goes in the blank he said the the four letter s word yes <laughs> i know this is a this is a pg podcast so we will uh we'll leave that up for the imagination but it was just to be honest it was it was exactly the thing that the bishop needed to say to me because it, it kind of woke me like, whoa, maybe it's maybe I should look into this. Mm. And then just gradually, I don't know how to explain it, like just gradually after that, there were just more and more signs that were leading me to 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 pursue the vocation. And the final straw for Catherine was when I, um, for, for people who don't know, every priest before they are allowed into seminary, when they're discerning, have to go for intensive psychological exams. Mm. And um, for her, that was the last straw. Like here, here I am going to Pennsylvania overnight um, to um, to do Rorschach ink blot tests. Mm. And uh, and well, the funny story there was the psychiatrist asked me, "Have you ever heard voices?" And I said, "One time." <laughs> and they and they still accepted me. They did. I know it was a true story. It was a true story. Yeah, I was. I wasn't lying. I was being truthful and. Uh, I said it with a like kind of a wry smile, but at the same time, it was, uh, you know, but that was that was the end of the relationship, uh, you know. So it was like, well, and then I guess I think I said, well, I guess I'm going to pursue this, you know. But it did was, you handle that ending okay, or did it feel like a, it hurt? Yeah, you know, because yeah. uh, her father actually still calls me. He's a very, um, he's a Romanian immigrant, you know, and he's oh. a he's a great guy and. Um, He'll call me periodically. I think he sneaks the phone calls to, to me. So, so if she hears this, that'll probably stop. But, um, you know, uh, I, I missed, I loved her family. I loved her. And, and um, you know, in, in some ways, you know, you with every 
relationship that ends. There's pieces of, of that person that influence you and make you who you are. In some cases, for better, others for worse. But, sure. um, you know, it, it's it's part of, I, I think I'm, I've had a few longer term relationships. So I'm able to, I, I th- feel like, understand people in marriages better. Not fully, obviously. Sure. But um, through my own experience and the grace of God, I think I can provide counseling, whereas I wouldn't have if I if I went into seminary at 22. It is very true. You know? That is not, that's not going to be wasted. None of that will be wasted, your experience with that. I, the headaches did not end when you went to the seminary. It's not as if you were able to turn that off once you began. How did, how did that affect your your process you went through a four-year degree of of pursuing a master's of divinity degree which is the the master's degree that that precedes uh, uh, someone's ordination to the priesthood how did you manage that with the the pain that you were dealing with so yeah i have um the diagnosis i've been given is new daily persistent headache you can google it n d p h um it's a constant headache some people I don't know how they do it. They have a constant pain level of like eight, nine, or 10. Oh. Praise God, I have like a, usually a two, sometimes a three, depending on the day. Um, but it does, it does get certain, maybe two or three days a month, I get like a, a five or six or seven again. Mm. And then um, there's, it's really difficult to treat. Um, there are some treatments out there that I haven't tried yet that if it gets bad, I will try. Uh, but it affects concentration and short-term memory. So, you know, I always say my short-term memory is kind of not the best. I'll, mm. I'll forget. And, and it, it's not for lack of trying. I just, you know, I have a hard time remembering details of, of, of events. Um, and I have a hard time concentrating on, for example, at seminary studying for tests, where I knew before that would have been something I was very good at. But now it's something that I do struggle with. Mm. And I know it's from the headaches. Um, I think it's even been clinically studied with people with chronic pain uh, have a hard time with with concentration and, and with short-term memory. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you somehow, though, were able to persevere through the, all of that, even though I imagine that in the early years you thought, is this ever going to end? Now you're at a place where it sounds like Correct me if I'm wrong. You actually are figuring out how you can live with this if it doesn't end. Yeah, I I try not to think of the end for it because then then the anxiety does kick in still sometimes. You know what I mean? Like if you think this will never end, but right. I mean, if you if you told me in 2013 you'll be talking here in 2021 and every day of your life from 2013 to 2021 will have a headache every minute of every day, I would say I don't want to live that life. But when you when you live through it, just if you live one day at a time with it, it's it's, it's interesting how that. I don't want to say it gives you wisdom, but it 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 does build you up in some way. And I mm. think that for me, knowing that other people struggle with a lot worse pain than I have, and to be able to talk to them not by um, by broadcasting my own pain and suffering, physical pain and suffering, but but helping me empathize with what they're going through on a day-to-day basis is going to make me a better priest and counselor for people. 
I think you're onto something huge there. I, I just really think that what you said is powerful. And, and it makes me think of a lot of places in the world where legalized euthanasia is being considered for, for vote. You know, should we as a society allow people to decide if their pain or their illness is such that they wish to not live any longer? And should there be legal uh, abilities given to folks to, to make that decision? And I think for a lot of us, we can get very rational about the decision and say, well, you know, shouldn't that be somebody's right if they want to? And, and it can sound very rational, but what you just said it, it seems to me is a deeper wisdom when you say that if you had, in 2013, if you'd been told, we don't know what the future holds beyond 2021, but we will tell you you're gonna have a headache every day for the next nine years, you would have said, count me out. But you now on the other side of it, say that it, it builds you up somehow. There's something in you because you endured this that wasn't there before you endured it. Yeah, and, and I do believe that, you know, I'm not going to get all theological, but the idea of redemptive suffering that, you know, we we kind of unite our own suffering to that of Christ on the cross. Mm. You know, I, I think that's a good visual image for me personally, but I don't know how much that would translate to me helping others, mm -hmm. um, at least that explicitly, but just to let people know that they're not alone, um, that others are there with them to pray with them and help them through their own physical or, or spiritual or mental uh, difficulties and pain and suffering. And I do think that suffering myself is going to allow me to help others deal with their own pain, whatever that pain may be. You know, and so, and, and I, I'm going to be honest, I wouldn't be a priest. I don't think, I, I know that if I didn't have the headache. So it is part of God's plan. I really believe that. I, I really think that it, it it was a combination of, you know, some something that humbled me in, in a way that brought me back to reconsider that call that I had buried in the, the, the deepest recess of my mind, mm. you know, that I didn't want to deal with that. That's, that was something that I heard when I was younger, that doesn't apply to me now when I'm 33 versus when I was 20. And that's, you know, the call never went away. Jesus never stopped calling me, but I, I had stopped listening. And um, yeah, that having the health issues kind of shook me up a little. Um, and, 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 and I think sometimes we might not want the crosses that we, we bear in this life, but we, we nevertheless are called to carry them. And this, this is the, the cross that I carry, and, and it's a cross that I carry um, with my Savior helping me carry it. Oh. You know, so it's... Um, oh, I, I, I just think and, that's powerful. But at the same time, I don't like being seen as a victim. I don't like, um, you know... I don't want to be identified just with the headaches. You know what I mean? And so it's like, right. it's like this kind of dualistic thought pattern that I have that I never want to be the victim. I never want to be thought that he, oh, we, we have to give him less work because he's got headaches all the time. Um, there's going to be times where I have to lay down, you know, and, and yeah. need to, but I don't want, it's, 
it's to me it's um it it's something that got me here and it's part of me and if if there's if god takes this away from me someday i would be that would be amazing you know but at the same mm. time um i will carry it and if if that's what i'm called to do so it's powerful and and it it's such an awareness that uh that all of us could point to the thing in our life that we are most burdened by and we could say the words that you just said this is a cross i carry but my savior helps me carry it that to me is is a huge shift when we realize maybe my cross is not the same as yours uh but I have a cross that only I can carry, but my Savior is with me. Well, you, you think of Saint Simon, uh, Saint Simon, Saint Simon Stock, mm. right? He's he helped Jesus carry the cross, but at the same time, the Lord was helping him carry a cross. Mm. You know, kind of flip that. I'm sure that he needed to carry that cross for whatever reason, and he looks over and and Jesus is there with him. Mm. You know, so it's kind of a a different way of looking at it at the way he helped Jesus carry those beams of wood. Uh, um, that's I think I know our listeners are really grateful for the chance to ponder and savor this. That's really powerful. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't know if it. I've never actually formulated it like it that. It perfectly but, makes yeah. sense. Those beams of wood were they represented the the cross that he was carrying that nobody could see the cross that he carried with Christ that everyone saw him carry also was accompanied by another cross that Christ was helping him carry. That's right. Yep. Mm. <laughs> Dan, good news is you're a priest now. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The sa- the thing that was said to you in, in the year 2000, when you were 20 years old is now true. What's it like? What have these first, at, at the time of this recording, we're talking about two months of priesthood. What has it been like? Oh, my God. Well, at first it was a whirlwind. You know, you're, you're ordained and you're like, okay, what do I do now? And then it's kind of weird because you, um, you don't have, we didn't have an assignment right away. Mm. We, we, uh, we had to wait a few days before we were called into uh, Bishop Ed's office. We came in all together and we got our assignments you were priest um, without a parish for a while. Priest without a parish, but I I'd served in my home parish. Uh, Father uh, Anthony Barrett, the pastor at, at Holy Trinity, let me. And the other vocation from Holy Trinity, Hudson, Father Stephen Yesko, we uh, concelebrated for a while. And Father Bath was also there. So we had four priests on the <laughs> altar. And then a couple days they had a a, a um, one of the Benedictine uh, priests what um, priesthood shortage? I know. So it was five <laughs> priests on the altar uh, on a weekday mass. Uh, I know it was, it was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm in St. Thomas Delmar and St. Matthew's Voorheesville. And the, the people have been so welcoming. They are so happy to see. I mean, I'm 41. In, in no other career is that young. In, in baseball, <laughs> I'd be about to retire. Um, but here, it's like the young priest. And, Absolutely. And I don't know how long that young priest label sticks i'm 46 and i still sometimes pull it off we'll see i I think my days are waning but i sometimes (laughs) sometimes can pull it off let me know in glens falls if they call you (laughs) oh we have a young priest now exactly i will yeah trust me i'll be shouting it from the rooftops you you better be uh so anyway but but it's been great the people 
have been wonderful. They're, they're receptive. They're welcoming. It's just been a joy to celebrate the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist, you know, our most blessed sacrament. But also um, baptisms. I, I actually uh, went down and baptized uh, friends from college. They're, they're uh, baby, Scarlet Rose, down in Monroe, New York. Uh, friends I knew um, mm. from Mount St. Mary College. And, um, you know, just celebrating baptisms and, and the Eucharist and uh, confession, you know, reconciling folks to, to the Lord mm. um, through that great sacrament. It's, it's really um, what, a, what a joy and an honor to, to serve as, as a priest. Um, it's, it really is a, a joy. Uh, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. As you know, um, because you're you're running around a lot in seminary, mm-hmm. you're you're kind of more sedentary. You're in your room, reading reading a book, um, writing a writing a paper on your laptop. Mm. But here, you're you're on the go, and um, it, but it's um, I, I wouldn't do it differently. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. It's it's a it's a beautiful thing to hear to hear that and to know that you are so in in the thick of things. And you know, when you said too, you went down to baptize little Scarlet Rose. And I don't know if this is your experience, but you were with your friends from college. And although they still feel as close to you and as friendly with you as they did, they also save a space for you in their life that's a different role. They, they treat you all so differently. While they're treating you as the same Dan they've always known, there is, their faith tells them that Father Dan has a new role in their life, that this is both the friend they've always known and someone new in their life. It, uh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is kind of an interesting dynamic because it's, you're you, but you're somebody new also. It is, it is, a, um, you know, you're treated with a, it's a it's a profound appreciation and respect, but there's still that deep, the deep bonds of friendship that you forge previously. You know, it's it's, it's still there, mm-hmm. but it's it is, it is different. Yeah, absolutely. We're at the end of our time now, so I wanted to close out with just a couple of questions that I ask everybody who is a guest on the podcast, and one of them is to just wrestle for a moment with the question that so many people ask that that doesn't have a clear answer, but, but really kind of resonates in the hearts of all of us. A lot of people, when something happens in life, will say, everything happens for a reason. And other people disagree. They say, no, no, it might not happen for a reason, but God helps us deal with it, whatever it is. Some things are just a result of people's free will, but God will be there with us in it. Other people say, it looks like free will, and we do have free will, but but everything is really happening for a reason. What do you make of that? Does everything happen for a reason? As you look at uh, well, your own journey? I, I think God has foreknowledge of everything, but we, we have the ability to use our free will as a gift that God gave us. You know, if, if we had to choose, would you rather have a dog nature or a human nature? Um, with all the consequences of our free will and our human nature, I think most of us would choose a human nature. Mm. And... I, I do think that our decisions we make, God knows when we're going to mess up sometimes and, and some of the bad decisions we make, but he doesn't, um, he doesn't cause them. Mm. So I, I tend to think, I tend to 
be a, a, a believer in free will being an important factor and that God does know what's going to happen um, to sort of say everything happens for a reason necessarily. Well, I, I think we, we do play our role. And other, if not, we wouldn't be responsible for our own misgivings and sins. Mm, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that for me any, anyway, do, do I feel like I got headaches for a reason? Well, I feel like they were something that inspired me to consider the priesthood, but it was always my free will that allowed me to say yes or no mm. to, to that renewed call. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's a it, that was a professor answer. That I is, know. I didn't... A, oh, it's excellent though because it really does show uh, we don't get to. It's a it's a great answer, and it and it helps us recognize that we are both able to answer this while still bowing down before the mystery of why things happen as they do. But but it but it's a it's a powerful thing to recognize. I love the question. Did I get headaches for a reason? I think all of us can put something in the blank where headache was, to ask ourselves that, and then say, in the end, God is going to bring all things together for good, as it says in Paul's letter to the Romans. In the yeah. end, God is going to bring it all together for good. The last question for you is: You've had to endure quite a few things. You've had to endure. Um, having a calling and and knowing that it was looming there. You've had to endure um, not being ready to answer it. You've had to endure years of headaches with NDPH. What do you think, as you look back over your life so far, is the key to enduring things? What's the key to the virtue of endurance? For me, it, it's persevering and and doing it just day by day. You know, the, the future is scary even for people who are completely optimistic, you know, sometimes, you know, they look mm. at the future. But I think if we, we take our faith journey each day and say, Lord, let me just live today the best day I can live. Mm. I think that's the way um, to, to kind of persevere through the, the worst times and the, the biggest troubles. You know, the best, best advice I ever got in confession, and I've, I've actually told other people this in confession, was the priest said, every morning you wake up, he said, say two things to God you're thankful for. First two things that come to your mind. And six out of seven days of the week, I say them right away. And then the, the seventh, I'll wake up and then stretch. I'm like, oh, wait, I forgot to say them today. Um, mm-hmm. But I always tell the Lord two things I'm thankful for every day. And I think it kind of puts a positive cast on each day as I'm starting, even if there's something that's going to happen that day that I'm not looking forward to or, or going to be, you know, just, uh, I don't want to go to a, a finance meeting, you know, <laughs> so mm. just, but I think starting the day with two things has helped me anyway, just, it's kind of just a mental, it's not only a prayer of Thanksgiving, but it's kind of a mental way to, to set our own attitude uh, towards, towards each day. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Before we before we part, I'd like to just ask our listeners to join with us for a moment in just pondering some of the things that we've heard before we before we go our separate ways. And maybe you can just enter into a moment of quiet if if it feels good to close your eyes or slow your breathing a little bit so that you can focus a little bit on some of the the golden nuggets that Father Dan has dropped in the path before us from his story.
What would you thank God for right now if you woke up and had to come up with two things you're grateful for right away? What would your two things be right now that you're most grateful for in this moment? What were you thinking of when Father Dan said that there's a cross that he has to carry, but his Savior helps him carry it? What is that for you? What is the cross that you have to carry? And how does God help you carry that cross? Father Dan wishes he could live without headaches, but he's aware that living with those headaches one day at a time has built up something in him that he can't put words to, but that has value. How has your suffering built up something in you? What have you gained because of what you've endured that you would not have had you not had to fight that battle? How can your suffering help others as Father Dan's suffering is going to help him with others deal with their own pain? How can you offer what you've been through not as a victim, but as a healer. Father Dan McHale, talking to you is always a blessing. Talking to you with this beautiful podcast audience is an even greater, more heightened blessing. I am so grateful to God that you became a priest, so grateful that you responded so beautifully to God's call, and so grateful to have you a friend in my life. Thank you for for all that you've brought to my life and to all of us. Father Scott, thank you so much for hosting me and everything you you know, you've been a great friend and and somebody to to talk to when when times, you know, at seminary in particular got annoying sometimes mm-hmm. like you know, so, just somebody to relate to and and somebody to to bring the love of the priesthood and and make it real and and to see a priest who's not only serving as people, but one that loves his people. And I know you love these people here and, and they love you. Thank you. And I know it's something that it's tough for you right now, mm. this transition. So um, I'll keep you in prayer as, as I do every day. And, you know, God bless you for your friendship. So thank you. Yep. Thank you. The feeling is mutual. And God bless all of you out there. May God continue to guide your life with all of the struggles that are in your path. And may you feel the strength from your spiritual friendships the way we do from ours. God bless you all.